Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Robert Zirk. My co-host Nolan Bicknell is on vacation this week. On today's show, I'll speak with the executive director of Folklorama, Deborah Zorb, and she'll tell us how the festival has grown to become the largest multicultural festival in the world. I'll also speak with Tolu Alilaboye. She is the former youth engagement coordinator here at the Winnipeg Foundation. I spoke with her on her last day at the foundation, and she'll share some highlights from her five years of overseeing many of the youth engagement programs at the Winnipeg Foundation. Then Christy Nickel and Christine Ahrens of A Winnipeg Slice will join us to talk about a couple of the stories that they've been working on this week. And finally, Noah Ehrenberg will tell us all about the latest stories from citizen journalists on Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism website. We've got all this, some great tunes, and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360. Hello and welcome to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today and definitely over the past week it feels like summer is finally here or at least the Manitoba summer as we all know it. Hopefully you had a good uh, past week and were able to check out some of the great community events that were going on and being that this is Winnipeg in summertime there's no shortage of special events to uh, to check out. The Canada Games are ongoing so you know, definitely uh, head out either to some of the many events that are going on, or you can check out some of the festivities that are going on at the Forks, so that should be a wonderful time. Also, a summertime tradition, Folklorama is just around the corner. Things kick off on Sunday, uh, and it runs for two weeks. There's one week of pavilions, and then there's another set of pavilions that run the following week. And I will speak with the executive director of Folklorama, Deborah Zorb, to find out all about this year's festival and uh, and learn more about some of the events that Folklorama puts on, not just during the festival time, but all throughout the year. And that'll be the story that we're going to hear right after our first musical break. And seeing as how... Folklorama highlights so many cultures from around the world. Let's uh, start off the show with What a Wonderful World. Here's Helmut Lottie right here on River City 360. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white The bright blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the sky Are also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do They're really saying I love you 
I hear babies crying I watch them grow They'll learn much more Than I'll ever know And I think to myself What a wonderful world Yes, I think to myself What a wonderful Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by the Executive Director of Folklorama, Deborah Zorb. Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So, Folklorama is the biggest and the longest-running multicultural festival in Canada. It's coming up fast with the festivities kicking off this Sunday, August 6th. This year marks Folklorama's 48th year. Can you speak to the festival's beginnings and how it's evolved over the years? Yeah, absolutely. Folklorama first started in 1970 with a group of uh, community-minded folks coming together uh, in celebration of Manitoba's centennial, and they wanted to create a platform where they could celebrate what it meant to be a Manitoban and a Canadian, but also um, the fact that they had such close ties and passion for their intangible heritage from the ethnocultural communities that they were very active in. And so Folklorama was held that year, and um, it just was such a great event that they have kept doing it. And here we are 48 years later. And actually, to correct you a little bit, we're we're the largest and longest-running multicultural festival in the world, not just Canada. And uh, we've actually had that verified uh, by one of our international partners, Um, that works with UNESCO on the preservation of intangible heritage. So we're really proud of that fact, especially since it is such a community-driven event. Absolutely. It's such a uniquely Winnipeg festival. I mean, where else can you go where you can experience so many different cultures all in the span of an evening? Yeah, it it really does have a certain magic to it in that regard. I've been fortunate enough to um, travel around the world at different conferences and and meetings of uh, folks who are uh, involved in uh, multicultural and folkloric festivals and uh, or, you know, from cities that don't yet have something like that. And when they hear about Folklorama and and, uh, all that it entails, Tales, you know, always want to see how they can bring that to their own communities and ask how to go about that. And the first thing I say is, well, the first step is you have to find yourself about 20,000 committed volunteers, um, and then you can proceed from there, because our, our festival absolutely would not happen if it weren't for the commitment of all of those folks who give so much of their time year-round in the planning, and certainly during the run of the festival, logistically, it would just be impossible to produce it and, and keep it as accessible to the public um, to attend and to come with our, our low admission prices, um, if it wasn't for all the volunteers who are really making sure that things run um, as they do at the event. Absolutely. So much work goes into making a festival like that possible. Um, And you can even look back and see, you know, some of the pavilions that have been with Folklorama from the beginning. It's really incredible that there's been this longevity and it really speaks to the hard work and the passion of the people who, uh, who make this happen and who put this on. 
Yeah, absolutely. You really cannot overstate what that commitment entails um, from the communities who take part. And, um, you know, I'm not sure that it is completely um, known by the public who goes to our festival that everyone that you encounter at a pavilion is a volunteer, whether they're selling you your admission at the door or food and drink um, throughout the evening or clearing tables and oftentimes the performers on the stage themselves are also volunteers who rehearse and commit themselves to uh, learning their their folkloric traditions all year long um, you know this is these are the lives that these communities live um, year-round and it's during folklorama that they're able to share that with others as they welcome them into the pavilions and the time commitment alone is really really substantial and the fact that they keep doing it year after year um, and that their community comes forward to Folklorama and says okay we want to take part this year um, which is how we come to have the pavilions that we do year after year um, it really is quite something and, and it's interesting too to see the evolution over the the last few decades um, that Folklorama has been running in terms of the different pavilions that have been represented over time. And um, it's, it's a reflection and a mirror of the changing demographics of our province and our city um, to see the different pavilions that come through and take part in the festival. Um, and certainly we're always open to that continued evolution and change and, and are always interested in welcoming new member organizations who may one day want to also be a part of the festival. And speaking of that change, are there any new developments that people can expect at this year's festival? Well, we're really pleased that one of our member organizations representing First Nations has decided um, to take on all of that work again this year. Um, so we will have a First Nations pavilion back at the festival. We haven't had one for the last couple of years with our member groups uh, from that cultural community choosing to take part in a year-round programming in Luke. because we're also very active uh, all year long with over 250 shows that we um, either produce or support taking place with a variety of our performances. Um, but yes, the festival is definitely our flagship event, so we are exceedingly pleased um, to have that representation back in the festival. It's very important to us, um, just as it is with all of the other communities as well. And, and although that's the only new pavilion joining us this year, um, certainly anyone, whether they're uh, familiar with Folklorama and they go every year or they're new to the festival, there's all kinds of things to discover. Each community is always looking at what they curate about their intangible heritage and what they choose to share, which is left up to our community. So it is an authentic representation of the traditions that have meaning and value to them that they want to celebrate. Um, and so whether it's a new food item on the menu or something new about the show, there's always something that you can discover, even if you've been going to that pavilion for 48 years. After the break, I'll chat more with Deborah Zorb about Folklorama's year-round activities, and we'll have some tips on how to make the most of your Folklorama experience. But up next, we have Around the World by Fiedler and the Pops, right here on River City 360.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and we are now rejoining my conversation with Deborah Zorb, the Executive Director of Folklorama. There are also some special events that are happening uh, in Winnipeg and throughout the province throughout the month of August. So for instance, there's an event this afternoon at the airport, and then there's another event at Assiniboine Park on later this evening. Tell us about some of those and how people can take part in those events. Yeah, so um, one of the best ways to see everything that's on is if you want to go to our website at folklorama.ca, we have listed all of the um, extra events where you can see um, different talent performers, pavilion performers, um, our ambassadors, or the Lama might make an appearance at some of them. And they come about through a variety of ways. Some of them are promotional activities that we pursue in, in support of the festival to get the word out so people can start planning all their pavilion visits. And we're also very fortunate um, through our Folklorama talent and Folklorama teachings to work with a lot of third-party um, organizations such as the Istanbul Park, um, you know, or the Winnipeg Airport Authorities, um, you know, and a variety of others that they will basically book Folklorama to come in and be part of existing concert series or performance series um, or to do other promotions um, that they themselves are, are looking to organize. And we're always happy for those opportunities. It helps create opportunities for our members to have additional performance experiences. Um, it gets the word out about, you know, Folklorama, our festival, but also our organization as a whole. And uh, we love any chance where we can celebrate our diversity with other folks. So um, I would definitely suggest that people go to the website and the details and times, dates are all there. Uh, and to take those in, uh, in addition to coming out to the festival. Gives you a little taste. And uh, as you mentioned, Folklorama, the festival is the flagship event, but Folklorama has some activities that go on year-round as well. Um, can you uh, speak to a few of those? Yes, absolutely. We're um, very proud of the way those, those program areas have developed over time, and, and uh, we refer to them as Folklorama Talent, Folklorama Teachings, and Folklorama Travel. And uh, some of the events that will take place year-round are things that we produce ourselves, but a large majority of them are where we partner with other um, community agencies or recreation departments of municipalities throughout the province of Manitoba who themselves are organizing an event, and they want to incorporate some aspect of um, ethnocultural traditions or performers or, or have some multicultural representation and so our agency will then work with them to customize whatever it is that they're looking for and so sometimes it's um, you know a municipal events such as uh, when we were up in Thompson for Canada Day and programming their activities um, for the people of Thompson on that day uh, or it can be for gala fundraisers or conferences and meetings conventions that come into the city um, we've been having a lot of appearances at the Canada Summer Games as well in a variety of different ways so you know if you're ever interested in uh, having some of that entertainment or if you're looking for something more in depth through the teachings program or through travel where we can organize different activities uh, in and around performances where there is a bit more of an interactive opportunity or learning opportunities. Uh, we're happy to speak to folks and I'd encourage them to either check out the website or give us a call and we can build something together with them. For those of our listeners who maybe they haven't been to Folklorama before or maybe they've been a couple of times but haven't yet had the full experience of, of hopping from pavilion to pavilion, what are some tips that you could offer on how people can get the most out of Folklorama this year? 
Yeah, so there's a few ways that you can go about doing that. And the first thing I would suggest is that they try to get their hands on a travel guide. And, and these uh, booklets are available throughout the city at a variety of uh, different sponsor locations. Uh, you know, 7-Eleven stores, Vicar Automotive Groups, Cambrian Credit Unions, Manitoba Liquor Marts. Uh, it's also available on our website. You can download a digital version. You can also just check out the festival page on our website, uh, which will, you know, you choose which week you're interested in or what pavilion you're interested in. It will list where the venue is located um, because for anyone who's new to our festival, we're not one central site. We have um, multiple venues around the city and each venue is um, comprehensive with that one culture. So from the moment you walk in the door, you're immersed in that cultural experience. Uh, you know, the food, the drink, the show, the cultural display is all geared to that one ethnocultural community. Um, a lot of our pavilions, fortunately, are located in proximity to each other. Some you can even walk to. Um, one and another, we have a number of pavilions that are being hosted at the RBC Convention Center this year, so that's a really easy way to take in multiple pavilions in one night. Um, or the other option, if you don't want to do all that routing, planning, and, and scheduling for yourself, is um, take a look at our VIP tour packages where we take the planning out of the hands for you, and you can just sit back and enjoy. There are central pickup locations. You uh, join the rest of the tour, and we transport you to two or three pavilions, depending on the package. You skip the lines. There's reserved seating. There's food service. Uh, you get to enjoy the shows, and everything is organized, and you just uh, get to sit back and relax. So that's another great way um, of taking it in. Uh, the festival is really accessible. It's only a $6 admission if you're doing general admission for adults. Um, children 12 and under are still free of charge. We're very proud of having maintained that, so makes it very accessible for families to go and take part. Um, and for those who like to plan in advance, we're rolling out a pilot project this year with um, 10 of our pavilions, five in each week, that uh, you can actually buy tickets online ahead of time and specify what date, what showtime you'd like to go, and then you're guaranteed um, that you will get admission to the pavilion for, for the times that you specify uh, and purchase for. Uh, because we're very fortunate that we uh, have a certain popularity, and sometimes shows do sell out. So if you want to miss that disappointment, um, by all means, check out the pavilions that are participating in the pilot project. We'll be rolling that out across the entire festival next year, um, but it's a good thing to test out this year as well. So a lot of great ways to check out a variety of, of different cultures and see some great performances, great displays, and enjoy some great food and drink. If people want to get more information, as you mentioned, they can go to folklorama.ca? Absolutely, yeah. There's a whole bunch of information there, but if for any reason you don't find what you're looking for, please do call into the office. We're happy to help make sure that everybody has a great Folklorama experience. Excellent. Deborah Zorb, I want to thank you so much for speaking with me today about this year's Folklorama, which is starting on uh, August 6th and running through August 19th. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you again very much to Deborah Zorb, the Executive Director of Folklorama. Coming up after the break, I will speak with the Foundation's former Youth Engagement Coordinator, Tolu Ililiboye, about the Foundation's youth engagement programming. Um, she just recently had her last day at the Winnipeg Foundation, um, but we thought it would be a good chance to highlight some of the many success stories that uh, the youth engagement programming uh, that she's been so involved in has uh, has resulted in. So we'll have my interview with Tolu coming up after this short break. 
But before we get to that, here is Catherine McKinnon with Magic Lanterns, right here on River City 360. There's a thousand little lamps are burning all across the town. A thousand little dwellings sleeping all around. Out there beneath the stars, a thousand lovers sleep. While the lamps are burning low, where others sit and weep. Stars are shining far away up in the sky. The lonely moonbeams peeping through the shutters where they lie. A million dreams are turning where the lamps are burning bright. But the shadows are falling when a baby cries in fright. Burning red and green and blue, winking at the stars, saying, How do you do? The winds are softly sighing, I can hear them in the night. They whisper through the chimneys that everything's all right. I am now joined by the departing youth engagement coordinator of the Winnipeg Foundation, Tolu Ililaboye, a frequent guest on RC360, friend of the show. Tolu, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me for the last time. <laughs> oh, it's. I'm sure you have mixed emotions about moving forward, and we're all very sad to see you go, but we thought this would be a nice opportunity to have sort of a brief retrospective of your time at the Foundation and kind of highlight some of the great things that are happening with young Winnipeg and young philanthropists in our city. Yeah, the, I think it's it's really interesting. It really just hit me in my last moments and my last site visit for the summer internship program and just how much philanthropy is changing for young people in Winnipeg and how much more young people want to get involved in this hands-on deliberate way and to see the growth of each individual that I've been able to work with and the lives that I've been able to touch being a part of Youth and Philanthropy and the Young Winnipeg Connect at the Winnipeg Foundation has been phenomenal and it really is solidified by just talking to the young people that I've had the chance to work with so under that Young Winnipeg Connect banner, there are several different programs that operate. And one of the biggest ones is YIP, or Youth in Philanthropy, which is coordinated with some of the different high schools around the city. Tell us a little bit about how that program worked and what some of the students get up to when they're in that program. Yeah, so when I first started, Youth in Philanthropy was very much just a program that's geared towards getting young people involved in grant making, where we had you know 27 high schools at the time that are participating in the program, and one community organization, and they each get 5000 dollars to grant into community organizations so the foundation provides them with five thousand dollars and they get to pick and choose which organizations and since then we've grown to 600 youth participating we have a yip in action program that allows them to also take on a project throughout the year so over and above their grant making they can also say that they want to create hampers for slow mission for example and um, create those hampers by asking for an extra thousand dollars to implement that project on top of the fact that some of the young people have also taken on these other amazing social media-based projects or community-based projects where they're going out and actually volunteering at the organizations that they're granting to. So it's become this multi-layered approach to philanthropy that you know we probably didn't see happening necessarily maybe in 1999, but has grown and continues to grow and will continue to grow. 
You've also been really involved with the Emerging Leaders Fellowship, where there are a variety of projects. I think there have been 19 projects up to this point where young Winnipeggers are working together with local charities. Tell us a little bit about that and some of the projects that stood out to you most during your time at the foundation. Yeah, so the Emerging Leaders Fellowship program is a really neat one. It works with 18 to 35-year-olds, so the older youth, I suppose you can call them. Essentially what it does is it provides an opportunity for young people to apply for up to $10,000 to implement a project at a registered charitable organization in Winnipeg. It's so diverse because it's really dependent on the interests of the young person and partnering with those organizations to create programs and projects. So some of my favorites, uh, although I know you're not supposed to pick favorites, but some of the ones that I think really stood out were the Human Rights Hub, which is an active, ongoing website that anybody can go to and find out more about different human rights events and opportunities that are happening across Winnipeg. Another really great one was the Wichiwaknak Learning Center's partnership with Nick Tanchuk, and he put together an early math readiness project where young people can learn over the course of the summer how to improve their math skills. And that program is becoming a national program. It's grown so much further and above what Winnipeg has kind of helped to foster and is something that can be implemented in any community, particularly in any Indigenous community across the country. Wow. So it's amazing how some of these projects, you know, the seeds have been planted through the Emerging Leaders Fellowship, but a lot of them are ongoing or they're expanding to a national scale. That's really incredible. There's also a program that you've been involved with over this summer and over the past few summers called the Summer Internship Program, where former youth and philanthropy participants get a chance to keep going throughout the summer working with different charities. Tell us a little bit about that program. Yeah, I love the summer internship program. It gets you out of the office a little bit over the summer, but also it gives you a chance to really touch down at the organizations and get into them and say, this is exactly how this organization makes an impact and how young people are able to help with that. So essentially what the summer internship program does is it places a youth and philanthropy participant who's really excelled throughout the year at a nonprofit, pays them to actually work with them and not just a day-to-day job, but something where they're you know marketing assistants or they are volunteer coordinators or they might be social justice research assistants, you know, things like that, that they're really getting into the organization and learning more about how an organization functions on the back end, and it helps to raise the next generation of leaders in our city. What have some of the SIP participants gone on to do after, you know, taking part in the program? Yeah, I had, um, I mean, so many amazing stories come out of the summer internship program because they're often life-changing. And one young woman named Marie, she really wanted to become a pediatrician for the longest time and then she was placed the Manitoba Eco Network um, and with the summer internship program we place them based on the skills and interests of the youth and the needs of the organization so for someone who wants to go into pediatrics you don't necessarily think Manitoba Eco Network would have an impact on their career but what it ended up doing is changing her entire perspective on how she actually wants to pursue medicine so she changed from pediatrics as a focus to pathology as well as uh, health policy so now she just finished her master's of health policy administration, and she's going on to get her PhD and move on to do pathology as a full-time career because of her experiences in the Manitoba Eco Network. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it helps to foster really... um, a sense of belonging and identity. One of the stories I really like that I have to slip in is one of our current summer interns. Her name is Andrea. She's placed at Art City and she loves graphic design and loves art. And she uh, just sent us a card in the mail saying, you know, thank you so much for this opportunity to work at Art Space. I'm getting to know the arts community. And she just recently came to Canada. And she's like, because of Yip and Sip, now I feel like a real Canadian. I know what it's like to be here and be a part of this community. And it's really just created a sense of belonging in her that she just wants to dive headfirst into the world of the arts community organizations. So I loved watching 
each and every single one of the youth that I've had the chance to work with grow and be a part of the community and of community development. That's fantastic. Any last thoughts before we sign off? If you have a young person in your life, tell them to sign on to Youth and Philanthropy. The opportunities, they abound. They're just, they're so endless. And the potential to meet people and connections, it's beyond anything. And thank you so much to the Winnipeg Foundation for this opportunity to be a part of this. Excellent. Well, Tolu, you've done some fantastic work with the Young Winnipeg Connect programs, and I know everyone at the foundation is going to miss you so much. We wish you the best of luck (laughs) on all your future endeavors. Tolu Liliboy, the Departing Youth Engagement Coordinator at the Winnipeg Foundation, joining me this afternoon right here on 93.7 CJNU. Thanks again very much to Tolu Liliboye for joining me on the program. And if you'd like to learn more about the Winnipeg Foundation's youth engagement programs, you can visit wpgfdn.org. Coming up after the break, we will have the hosts of A Winnipeg Slice. We've got back-to-back conversations with Christy and Christine. You may have heard A Winnipeg Slice on CJNU every Monday through Friday in the morning and in the afternoon here on CJNU, bringing us interesting stories, one piece of Winnipeg at a time. But right now, here is Ella Fitzgerald with It's Only a Paper Moon right here on River City 360. A paper moon sailing over a cardboard sea, but it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. Yes, it's only a canvas sky hanging over a muslin tree, but it wouldn't be make believe if you believed in me. Without your love It's a honky-tonk parade Without your love It's a melody played in a penny arcade It's a Barnum and Bailey world Just as phony as it can be But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me me 
without your love. It's a honky-tonk parade without your love. It's a melody played in a penny arcade. It's a bottom and Bailey world, just as phony as it can be. But it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me. But it wouldn't be make-believe, believe if you believe in me. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by Christy Nickel. She is a co-host of A Winnipeg Slice here on 93.7 CJNU. Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. So today uh, you're here to tell us about a history tour that our listeners can take throughout the summer called In Riel's Footsteps. I understand you had the chance to speak with Vanya Gagnon, the director of the St. Boniface Museum. Tell us a little bit about what you learned when you spoke with her. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, just being at the St. Boniface Museum is amazing. I highly suggest that people go there and experience it. I was there for the first time today and I already learned a lot and I didn't even get the full tour. So uh, really great experience. Um, But in terms of the play, I learned that it's a play slash walking tour mixture that's been going on for about 15 years now. I've never heard of it, but I do have tickets now to go next week on Tuesday, so I'm really excited to experience it. It happens twice a week, but the one thing that stuck out to me uh, was the way that she described the Tuesday show, which is why I'm choosing to go then. Sure. Well, people who want to participate can come to the museum and just um, purchase admission for Enriel's footsteps. You also have a free admission to the museum with that ticket. So whether you want to come before the show and take in the museum or come back to the museum after, uh, that's really up to you. Um, Shows are Tuesday mornings at 11 which is a really nice one because it ends just before noon and of course the cathedral bells go off at noon it's pretty magnificent to take in that Tuesday morning show Uh, or for those who might be working every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. we run a show as well. It's great that there are a couple of different options to check it out in the morning and in the evening so you know, everyone has a chance to see it whenever they can. Yeah, absolutely. And she made it sound like such a great experience. Just talking to her, she just exuded this energy and it made it sound really exciting and like a and like it would be a really great play to see. It is so much fun. I have been going to it every year and every year it changes a little bit. Um, what the premise of Inriel's footsteps is that you get to meet Madame Angélique Nolin, who was the first school teacher in all of the Northwest. And she really wants to give you that history lesson. But there's also three or two other characters in the play who are kind of comedic and funny and they keep interrupting her with all of these happenings that are happening in St. Boniface. And and, uh, you know, one of them is a grave digger and he's hilarious. There's a little bit of a love triangle kind of underpinning the entire history lesson. But Madame Nalin does end up leading you from the museum up the sidewalk on Taché and through all of the important parts of the St. Boniface Cathedral Cemetery. So uh, the the play is bilingual. Whether you speak French or English or both, you are going to get that history lesson. Uh, But it's so full of jokes and fun and hopefully for you new discoveries. It does sound like a very interesting experience and a pretty exciting way to learn about Manitoba's history. It's always great when you can go and see something that sort of immerses you in that history. 
how long is the uh, is the play? She said it's anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour, but I suggest allotting about an hour and a half to two hours for the whole experience so that you can go in, go around the museum. You'll learn a lot on the tour, but there's a lot to be learned on your own if you take the time as well. So given that that's right near the oldest building in the province and there's so much history around that area, uh, I'd imagine there's a lot to see and a lot to learn. When you spoke with Vanya, uh, did she mention something about the tour that stood out to her? Yeah, she was telling me a bit about her favorite part, which involves a famous gravesite, which I'm really into. I love that kind of stuff. So I uh, I could see that being my favorite part when I see it next week as well. In my opinion, um, Louis Diel is definitely one of the great persons of Manitoba history. And you do get to visit his gravesite and... Um, Uh, reflect on his role on the creation of the province but what's even more exciting I find is to stop at everybody else's sites also and get uh, a bigger understanding about the development of our province and the exciting things that happened here throughout our history Um, aside from Riel. Riel is one uh, but there are so many others who who really shaped uh, our history and it's fun to be standing in that cemetery. You can't be there and not be moved um, by the stories and by the shaping of our province. So if you're interested in checking out the tour, it's called In Riel's Footsteps. You can see the show any Tuesday morning or Thursday evening. And the St. Boniface Museum is located at 494 Taché Avenue. And you can also get your tickets there. Christy, thank you again so much for joining me today and sharing the story about the St. Boniface Museum's In Riel's Footsteps Tour. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much, Christy. Coming up next, Christy's A Winnipeg Slice co-host Christine Ahrens will join me in studio to discuss one of the stories that she's been working on this week. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick musical break. You're listening to River City 360 right here on 93.7 CJNU.
Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined by one of the co-hosts of A Winnipeg Slice here on 93.7 CJNU, Christine Ahrens. Christine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Always a pleasure. So today, for the Winnipeg Slice that you're featuring here on RC360, we're talking about teaching young people about Canadian history, and in particular, the residential school system. Exactly. So Frontier College and CEDA, they partnered up to create this three-week camp, and they're teaching grades 7 and 8 kids about truth and reconciliation. So obviously that's a pretty heavy topic, but there's still a lot of games and sports the kids play. They do science experiments, but learning about this part of history is a major focus of theirs. And what I thought was really interesting when I visited the camp was that they're going about teaching this in a different way than a typical school. So Sinead, the camp administrator, she tells us a little bit how they're going about this. We're doing it in such a way that also raises cultural awareness and introduces them to different kinds of literacies, not just book literacy, but also cultural literacy, Um, whether it be a field trip to pick sage or a uh, field trip to, to go see a sweat lodge, whether we have a guest in who's showing us the difference between First Nations and Métis fiddling or if we are making dream catchers at the end of a day. It's very different from, you know, a typical classroom setting where you'd read a textbook chapter and maybe just discuss it afterwards. Exactly. And even the book that they use to cover this, Sinead mentioned that it's not really what you'd expect it to be. We actually read a graphic novel called The Outside Circle um, that won an an Aboriginal Literacy Award, I believe, in the past year. Um, But it's a graphic novel that walks through the story of a young Aboriginal man who's involved in gang violence and his journey um, finding traditional healing to um, start to make some reconciling in his own life and how that affects and he he becomes an elder and leads uh, healing ceremonies himself. So that was our way, our main way of teaching about the actual experience of residential schools. That's great that they're uh, using these different mediums to teach the topic. It's still kind of a heavy subject. So how have the kids been handling learning about truth and reconciliation? Well, Sinead said that it has been a little tough for some of the kids. Um, For many of them, it's the first time they're starting to understand what happened in our history. So for example, Ryan Evans, he's a 13-year-old in the camp, and I asked him how it's been for him learning about uh, residential schools so far. My parents never really mentioned it. Like, I'm pretty sure my grandparents might have been involved with that and even their grandparents, so sometimes I wonder if I should actually ask them and ask her if, about their experience or if they ever been, ever been involved. There's a lot to cover in uh, Truth and Reconciliation, but it sounds like, you know, it's really getting through to the kids and sparking some conversations that they may not have otherwise had. Exactly. And Sinead, she recognizes that not all the kids will be ready to accept what they're learning and fully understand it. But the goal is just to provide a better understanding of the subject so that as they grow up, they can keep moving forward. You know, it is hard content, but hopefully we're able to um, tie things up in such a way that they feel as though that they feel a little bit more solid in their identities, um, that they have a better grasp and understanding of what's going on and can move forward and feel empowered and confident and like they have the tools to to succeed. It's a very important topic and it's great that kids are getting a better understanding of history at a young age because in the past that's something that either hasn't been taught until much later or sometimes it hasn't been taught at all so it's great that kids are getting the chance to learn about this and get a better understanding of this at a younger age. Christine thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. And to hear a Winnipeg Slice, tune in to 93.7 CJNU every Monday to Friday at both 8.38 a.m. and 5.38 p.m.
Coming up after the break, Noah Ehrenberg will join me in studio to discuss the latest in citizen journalism on Winnipeg Citizen Journalism website, Community News Commons. Welcome back to River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I'm now joined by Noah Ehrenberg. He's the convener of Community News Commons, Winnipeg's citizen journalism website. Noah, thank you so much for joining me today. 
Great to be here. Thanks, Rob. So a lot of uh, a lot of articles. It's been really busy on CNC lately. The Fringe Festival just wrapped up, and many citizen reporters were reviewing shows and talking about their experiences at the Fringe. I was really impressed by the reviews by uh, CNC writers uh, during Fringe Festival time. They they really, um, you know, I, I my hat goes uh, my I take my hat off to them because uh, they. They took it seriously, and uh, they saw a lot of great plays, and there was a lot of great reviews, and I'm, uh, I, I think our audience was, uh, was um, very uh, much uh, into the fringe and, uh, and into some of the different reviews that we had on our site, communitynewscommons.org. So uh, fringe is a great experience for citizen reporters. Yeah, such a great event. And uh, it's even, you know, it's fun to go back and and just kind of revisit some of those reviews. You never know, because sometimes some shows end up being so popular that they end up being staged the following year. So. Oh, for sure. And there were, there, were, there were shows this year about a lot of very interesting social issues. And uh, I, I, I think even, even, even looking at some of the reviews now, we have a whole page dedicated to all the reviews that we had this year, uh, I think is also is pretty good, even though the fringe is over now. I think uh, you can take a look at some of those reviews and see some of the different uh, really, really interesting content that was at this year's Fringe Festival. Absolutely. So first up, in terms of some of the newer stories for this week, mm-hmm. um, I understand there's a citizen reporter who was writing about the Good Food Club in West Broadway. Yeah, that's Susan Hubert, who um, has a nice little story about the Good Food Club and the West Broadway Farmers Market. And, you know, uh, basically Susan examines the, 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 the question of how um, difficult is it um, for people within the inner city to have access to nutritious um, quality food uh, because there's really not a lot of places to buy that uh, or if there are the places are uh, the food is too expensive and so uh, Susan examines uh, some of the different uh, really novel approaches um, that fresh fruit is grown and delivered to West Broadway residents and you can read her insightful story on on these really cool uh, food initiatives in Winnipeg's inner city by going to uh, communitynewscommons.org the name of that uh, article is bringing good food to the table in West Broadway. Very important that communities do have access to healthy food. So it's great that there are initiatives like those that are that are helping to uh, to make that available mm-hmm. to people in different neighborhoods in our city. Absolutely. So another story that's on Community News Commons comes from a participant in the Winnipeg Foundation summer internship program. Yeah, uh, oftentimes what happens is that those that participate in Winnipeg Foundation Summer Internship Program will provide kind of an update uh, to Community News Commons on what it's like to be interning at whatever organization they they happen to be um, working at. And uh, Jessica Olenek is the name of the um, uh, internship uh, participant. And, uh, and and now she's a citizen reporter because she's writing about um, sort of a week in the life of a Winnipeg pet rescue shelter intern. Essentially, um, she has a spot at um, what is really Manitoba's first registered charity, No Kill Animal Shelter. And um, it's a very, very busy place. And it's very interesting to read some of the things that Jessica uh, has to do as an intern there. Uh, some of the, you know, the various animals that she's looking after, all the different things that they, that they, that they need to do to care for uh, the kittens and the dogs and, the, and, um, and basically the adult dogs and the cats. Uh, and she's got some great photos as well, and as well as some, a, little, a few moving pictures. So you can check out Jessica Olenek's story about the Winnipeg Pet Rescue Shelter and what it's like to be an intern 
time there uh, by going to communitynewscommons.org. Now, every week on the program, we like for you to bring in a song by a local artist. What have you brought in for us this week? Well, this week I wanted to feature, uh, I'd like to feature Roman Clark. You might not know his name, but you've probably seen his face sort of behind a set of drums, I guess, is where you would see him, because um, he is the drummer for the band called The Middle Coast. And, you know, he's been now doing a, a lot of soul rock, I guess you would call it. He has a couple of singles out already. He performed at the TD Winnipeg International Jazz Festival. And just yesterday afternoon, he kicked off the Manitoba Live at the Cube Lunchtime Concert Series. And so he's a busy musician. Uh, you can actually, by the way, catch a lot of those um, Manitoba Live concerts uh, for the next uh, few weeks over at the Cube. And if you want to catch Roman Clark um, coming up uh, this month, uh, well, I guess next month, Harvest Moon Festival in mid-September, he will be playing there. And September 21st, he's at the Goodwill to release his debut album. So uh, I'm going to feature a tune from, from that album. It's called Faithful Man is the name of the album, and it's the name of the tune. And you're listening to River City 360 with Robert Zirk on 93.7 CJNU. And that's a wrap on this week's episode of River City 360. Thank you very much for listening, and a big thank you to all of our guests for speaking with me today. If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do all of those things online on our website. Our address is rivercity360.org. Again, that's rivercity360.org. River City 360. Views and News from Around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU. And if you have any feedback about the program at all, if you'd like to suggest a story for us to cover, or if there's just a song that you'd like to hear that would make your day, give us a call on our listener line. It is open 24-7. All you have to do is leave a message. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. If you'd rather send us an email, you can do that as well, rivercity360 at wpgfdn.org. 
We'd absolutely love to hear your feedback, so again, the phone number to our listener line is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Be sure to like River City 360 and the Winnipeg Foundation on Facebook. And you can also follow us on Twitter as well. We are at River City 360 on Twitter. And you can also follow at Winnipeg FDN on Twitter as well. I'm Robert Sirk, signing off for River City 360. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend. <laughs>